I've been around a while. You know, I had a birthday this week. Several of you sent me cards. And what I really appreciated was all the money you sent me. I- I'm joking. <laughs> I wanted to say, I love that $10,000 check. That didn't happen. I was afraid. You know what I'm afraid of? The IRS will come and say, where is that thing? You know, I would, no, it didn't happen that way. But you were very generous in terms of sending me cards. And I thank you for all of that. But I've served in, I- I've, been in a while, I've been in the ministry for a while. I've served six churches. I've served um, as a minister of education evangelism. I've served as an associate college minister and a singles minister. And I've served as, uh, at another church as a singles minister, outreach, and a, and a business administrator. So, and then I've served as a senior pastor here, uh, at, uh, one in Houston, uh, one in the Nashville area, and, and here. And what I've learned, and something that probably you learned, that you can go to all the school that you want to go to, but where are you going to get most of your real knowing how to do it? on the job, isn't it? It's just about on the job that you're always going to get that, that it's not just the experience. It's the, it's, it's the scars. You know, you understand what I'm saying? I've got this cartoon and, and, uh, this, uh, old pastor is sitting down with his, uh, these younger pastors. And he said, this scar is from the deacon's rebellion in 1987. You know what I'm saying? You know, this burn here is from the, the, the fight in the kitchen we had. Anyway, the kind of things that are going on there, you know, they got the, they got the scars, they got the experience, they got all of this kind of stuff. So many of the things that I've learned, I've learned by the hard way. You learn it on the job. And let me tell you, I've realized that leadership is always a struggle in a Baptist church. I've heard this. I mean, I'm going to tell you what I've heard, and I tell you that this, not because that is normal, not because I've heard that here, but because I've heard it over the years. I've heard people say, I, you work for me. You know, and I, don't want to, I want them to realize that I don't. They believe that because they've elected me to this position, that therefore, they, they are the ones that put me in the office. And then therefore, like a politician, I work for them. Honestly, folks, I've got to work for the Lord or I'm, I'm, out of the, I'm in the wrong business. I have to work for the Lord. I'm doing it. And, and I've really got to be honest with you. I've never been that autocratic leader that I think works best in a lot of Baptist churches. Because the autocratic leader says, you do this. And, and, and everybody says, that, uh, 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 and they do it. You know what I'm saying? See, uh, because I haven't been that autocratic leader, there's always going to be somebody that's challenges, challenged my lead. It is really true. Now, I'm also, you know, I'm not that preacher that, you know, that, that is going to just simply care for you until you die. I don't you understand what I'm saying. I mean, there are some preachers that, I mean, they are constantly in the hospitals and the nursing homes and they're doing that sort of thing. And they are, I mean, and I think that's wonderful for them, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I'm just not that person. I, I'm the person that wants to get to the word of God and to give the people the word of God. I'm just telling you what it is. Because some people think that when they got, they joined the church, they got certain rights and it's, they joined the church. It, it, give, it gave them the rights to do, you know, to be served. Uh, honestly, many times I've been in, in churches where there were interims and I was not the pastor. And many times those churches did better during the interims than they did when they had the regular pastor. And I think that part of the reason was is because there was no struggle for power. There was no reason to grab the authority of, the, uh, of this uh, interim uh, preacher. You can just let the inner preacher go ahead and preach. And, and, and so the power grabbers, they, they kind of just sit still and the church does a whole lot better. But here is the real problem that I think that we need to really deal with. Too often, churches do nothing but simply slide into oblivion. 
You know, it, it was, if there was a great fight, maybe, it would probably make more sense than simply saying, we're losing eight people every year. And they slide into oblivion. And so many times churches say, well, it's the responsibility of the senior pastor alone to make the church great. And there are some senior pastors can, that can do that, but most cannot. Honestly, they cannot. And my fear is, I want you hear this, I'm not about to retire, uh, but I am 69 years old. And I have to admit, I know that the clock is ticking. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not about to retire, but my fear is that you won't get a better pastor than me. You'll get someone just like me. And that's my fear because I think that is a problem in itself. A lot of people, because they, they've done this so long with churches going, when they elect these uh, pulpit search committees and such, they go and they will hear somebody who is a really good preacher. And that, they believe that great preaching will make churches grow. It will not. I want you to hear that up front. You may think that, but that's not the central thing that needs to happen. I visited a church several years ago, many, many years ago, that was having phenomenal growth. Let me give you the phenomenal growth. They were averaging 135. Four years later, they had 2,800 people. Okay? That's pretty phenomenal growth. You understand what I'm saying? And I knew that the preacher that they had when they had the 135, he was an amazing preacher. I mean, he was the kind of preacher that, you know, you would just say, oh my goodness, I got so much out of that message today. This is so incredible. And so I went to hear this new guy. And you know, very honestly, I was disappointed. It wasn't that he was bad. He just wasn't that good. I mean, they had a phenomenal guy and they ran 135. They had this guy and then they ran 2,800. You know, pastors who work hard but see very little or no growth, get discouraged because they believe they are the reason for the lack of growth. And so they tried to do it, to be, rather just to do, to be everything that the church needs. And they can't do it. They just can't do it. And I don't know if the early church simply knew this, or they just were following the Holy Spirit, but they did not depend upon a single person. They appointed elders in every church. Now, why was this a good idea? Well, first, elders shepherd the flock. There may be some churches that are able to exist with only one elder, but it appears to me that elders were appointed in every church because every time you see that they were appointed, it's always plural. It's never singular. And so I'll read this from the scripture out of 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So elders 
Elders are to shepherd the flock that is among them. The word that is there for shepherd is a, is a word, I'm going to give you a little Greek here. It's, it's the word that means it's an aorist, it's an aorist imperative. An aorist means that it is something that is done completely, but that tense doesn't have a timetable on it. In other words, it can be something that is done over a long period of time. It's done once, but it's done over a long period of time. And it is imperative. So it has to be done with completeness to shepherd this flock. And it has to be done with completeness because it is a command that it must be done. And that is, is that means if you're not shepherding the flock, then you are being disobedient to what it says. And it literally means to to tend like a shepherd. Now, why does it say here that shepherding needs to give oversight? He said giving, exercising oversight over these. You see, the word there means to continually serve as overseers. That means the work can never be done. Now, why is that? Why does it say that we need to have this shepherding over the flock? Well, I can tell you a little bit about sheep. Sheep want to get out. I can tell you what they'll do. Now, I have never raised sheep, but my neighbors did. When I was growing up on a farm, neighbors. I'm going to tell you something about sheep. I don't, you know, when we're called sheep, you have to understand, sheep are not the brightest bulb in the room. I'm telling you, they're just not that smart. They're pretty, I mean, just say dumb is what they are. And sheep don't always do what is best for them. In fact is, is that sheep tend to follow the older flock, the older uh, sheep. In fact, they will follow an older sheep off a cliff. If that one goes over the cliff, the whole herd can go over the cliff. And so the whole herd, the whole group can get in trouble. Have you ever been to a church that is constantly fighting and you're wondering, how does this happen? I know some churches like that. They're constantly fighting. There's always something brewing in there. There's always someone who is stirring up trouble. And it's because these people do not have their eyes on the Lord. Now, here's the crazy thing about it. They don't have their eyes on the Lord, but they could quote scripture. They read their Bibles. They look like they are the best in the world in in terms of these are what a Christian ought to be. But then they're stirring up the trouble. What does the Bible say about these people? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? They aren't spiritual, they're fleshly. Jealousy and strife is an indication of this. The whole of the church, you know, as the church is like sheep and the sheep follow one another, they are caught up into the strife and the jealousy that is there. And when there is a singular pastor and he will try to correct this issue. Now, I didn't hear this. Another pastor told me this. They said to him, pastor or preacher, I was here before you came, and I'll be here when you're gone. In other words, you cannot tell me what to do. And let me tell you something, folks. You cannot institute a correction plan in the middle of a fight. You ever tried to break up two fighting dogs? If you get it between them, what happens? You're going to get bit. 
Isn't that correct? And I've seen a lot of pastors have gotten bit many times trying to settle something like this. Elders will be there whether the pastor comes or goes. They will still be there. Then the church, the people in that church will either grow up or you know what they'll do? They'll go find a church where they can stir up trouble. They'll find another church and let them stir up trouble. And this is one of the reasons that churches don't grow. Who wants to join a church that is full of jealousy and strife and fighting? Elders lead by a plurality of examples. It says being examples to the flock in that First Peter passage. And the best way to expose flesh behavior is by the example of spiritual behavior. And so the elders give this example by, by leading eagerly. It says that they're supposed to lead eagerly. Now, nobody, no elders wants to get into a fight. Nobody that you ever called uh, to, to be an elder should ever want to get into a fight. I got that. I understand that. But the elders should want to bring the people to maturity so there is no fight that has to be dealt with. This is, a, you know, this is such a desire that they will act to correct bad behavior. The elders will give this example by without domineering over others. It says they're not supposed to domineer over those in your charge, as it says there. Godly leadership assumes the position of an under-shepherd. You see, the Lord rebukes, but he does not domineer. And the elders should follow that example. Correction should be done eagerly, not, not for vengeance, not to get rid of the person, but for the gain in the church and the gain in that person as well. And this is the reason that Paul spoke of, of putting somebody outside of the church. I, I will tell you something. <clears throat> I put somebody outside the church before. I'm going to tell you that up front. I had a guy. He was um, taking advantage of women. He would come into the church. In fact, he did this with four churches before us. He came into the church. He got saved. He got saved in the other four too. They saw his salvation story. But he didn't have good transportation. So what he would do is he would ask women to take him home. And when he did, he tried to take advantage of them. And when I heard about it, at first I warned him. Three days later, when I got nine more complaints... I said, he's got to get out of here. And I, I went and I told him, I said, you're not going to be here anymore. You're not, I'm, you're, not going to, you're not going to destroy this church. You're not going to be a part of what's going on here. Because I can tell you what, it says you will not change your behavior. So therefore, you're not going to change your behavior. You need to get out. And I don't want to see you anymore. That's what I told him. You know, I told that to the deacons of that church. You know what they told me? I didn't have the authority to do that. Well, who was going to do it then? Who was going to do it? Somebody had to do this just to protect what was going on in that church. You see, this is the kind of thing that needs to happen here sometimes. I mean, that's a rare case. That's the only time I've ever, well, it's one of two times I've done that. But only because there was something that was going on that was going to cause harm to people. And I mean physical harm to people within the church. And so it's the hope of repentance that you want there. In fact, is he went to another church. They called me. They said, you know what? It says, we've decided, since he'd done this in every church, you realize this. He goes in, he gets saved. He gets baptized. 
I mean, he gets the attention of the church and then he does what he's doing. Okay. So he comes to their church. He said, uh, he told them that I had told, I had told him to leave. I said, I did. And they said, well, we believe in redemption. I said, I do too. I said, and they said, well, we, we think we can redeem him. You know what they did six months later? They called me up and told me, they told him to get out. I'm just telling you what happened. I mean, this is the way that it happens sometimes. But see, you do this, and you should do this, as it says here. It says, by doing so, when they will get nothing worldly out of it. Elders should give this example, and see, they are not to gain power. They're not going to be expected to get paid a higher salary. And even if they're the pastor of the church, you shouldn't expect that. See, they have to have their eyes on the greater reward. And what is that greater reward according to the uh, verse 4 of, of uh, uh, 1 Peter 5? It says that you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Secondly, elders protect the church. Let's look in at Acts. Let's look over to Acts here. Go over to Acts in chapter 20 and verse 28. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers is the word episkopos. It is a word that is interchangeable with elders. We see that throughout the scripture. So there you have it. It says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It says here, elders must pay attention to themselves and to the flock. Look at it very carefully. They pay attention. It isn't that it's a present and it means it's an imperative. It means that it's something that is always going to be ongoing. You always have to pay attention and it requires a constant diligence. It's imperative. So it is a command. He says he mentions the elders there uh, before the flock. Every elder should realize that the elder can fall into a problem as well. Every elder needs to recognize that, that they are not perfect and, and that they, they, can, they can sin just as well as anybody else. And so that every elder needs to be able to speak of the dangers of what can go on. And this is one of the reasons for the plurality of elders. Who is going to point it out to the elder if there is not an elder to point it out to the elder? In other words, there's others there that are spiritual and they can point it out. So that if the elder does not take care of himself, he cannot take care of the flock. So that an elder must be an ever-growing follower of Christ. An ever-growing follower of Christ. An elder must always be learning. Always be learning. That has to be part of what the elder is doing. Learning from the scriptures and, and growing in the scriptures. It's never going to be finished. I mean, I think that we need to tell people, you know what? Perfection is an illusion. Perfection is an illusion. That's why improvement is all we, all we can ever hope for. We're going to continue to improve. An elder must always know his weakness is and strengths. And some people don't know that. And an elder must have those who will hold him accountable. Those are absolutely necessities. That would be true if it were the pastor who is to be an elder 
or any of the other elders that you would have within the church. Everyone has blind spots. Typically, we point out the flaws of others that we have in ourselves. You realize we can see the flaw in the other person because we got the flaw ourselves. That's typically the thing that happens within each of us. And we were, we were somewhat blind to our own weaknesses. And this may be the most difficult question in a job interview. You ever ask somebody, now what is, would you say was your weakness? What is your greatest weakness? And they have a prepared answer. You realize they know they're going to be asked that. And so they choose something that won't keep them from getting the job. Let me tell you what I've never heard. Never heard in a job interview that, I, that, that I'm interviewing somebody. Well, my problem, my greatest weakness is, is I'm always late. I never heard that. Or I'm really messy. I, I've never heard that. Or I, I, I really have trouble getting control of my temper. I have not had one person ever say that. Or how about this one? My real problem is I don't care about others. You don't get that one. Don't ever have that one. Or this one, this has been true, but it, hadn't, it didn't, uh, didn't happen. Didn't tell me. It says, I have an addiction. I've had that one, but didn't tell me that. But what I've heard, you know what I've heard? When people say, you know, what is your, well, I don't really know. I guess I think I'm just so perfect for this job. I've heard that. Or this is the one that will turn me off more than anything else. When I ask them, what is your greatest weakness? I work too hard. Think about that just for a moment. Or they say, I don't do something well, which has nothing to do with the job. I don't cook well. I don't, you know, I don't like doing menial tasks. You know, who does, by the way? See, the truth is that most people don't know all of their weaknesses. And they do not realize they're falling into a hole. Lottie Moon, you know who she is. Lottie Moon, who was, you know, we take up our Christmas offering for her from, from missions every year. She died at the age of 72, and they said the cause of her death was dementia. Do you realize that she gave away all of her food? She died in 1911, by the way, until she was a mere 50 pounds when she died. And studies reveal that dementia can come from a lack of energy to the brain. A lot of not eating and giving it away. Regardless of how she died or why she died, she didn't take care of herself. And the truth is the elder must take care of itself. Then elders protect the flock from the wolves. The wolves, these wolves are false teachers that will deny the word of God for their own sakes. They will do so. You see, they, we see them as they, they will present the gospel in such a way and this is the way I hear this preaching they will use the word of God bend the word of God so that it will appeal to their physical pleasures to their possessions to people you know God wants you to be rich that sort of thing and to your own pride you can be the number one employee of the week or whatever it is and they entice people to believe in them these are what the wolves do It says, rather than in God. And they do so by employing churchy words and reading some scripture and taking it out of context. They do very well with this sort of thing. And they follow the pattern and understand what a wolf will do. Wolves steal the individual sheep away from the flock. They draw them away from their their support that they have. They draw them away. And what do they do? They draw them toward themselves, to this individual, this wolf. 
And then they kill the desire to follow sound doctrine. They will, people will not want to follow that sound doctrine. In fact, they won't even know what the sound doctrine is. It sounds so good to hear that I'm always going to be healed, that I'm always going to have tons of money in the bank, and I'm always going to have people that are, know my name and bow down to me. It sounds so good to have that sort of thing preached to you. And then they destroy the work for the cause of Christ and praise it with, and replace it rather with praise and glory to themselves turns around and it goes around and it comes back to them. They destroy the work for the cause of Christ and they replace it. They replace it with praise and glory to themselves. There is a Southern Baptist preacher who is preaching. He started, I mean, he's in this church. He started preaching modalism and little God heresies. Modalism says there was God in heaven and then God came down to as Jesus and he vacated heaven. And now he went, Jesus went up and he did a U-turn, came back down as the Holy Spirit. But there's nobody in heaven right now. This is the, this is the little God heresy is you are a God. And you, you know, that way you can get whatever you want because of that. So he's been uh, teaching this sort of thing. And he has put this out in his, they have coloring books that they've got. It's a huge, huge church have coloring books and they print it, they give them to their preschoolers and they have captions underneath those uh, deals the preschoolers and, and children are supposed to color and they have these these things are on there we serve a lead pastor we can trust we serve a lead pastor who pours into us spirituality spiritually and professionally we serve a lead pastor who seeks and hears from God we serve a lead pastor who goes first yeah, I want you to hear, folks, you don't serve me. You understand what I'm saying? No more than I'm going to serve you alone. I, you don't serve me. You serve God himself. And you need to remember that all the time. And if I start trying to tell you to serve me, you know what I've just created? A cult. That's what I have just done. So elders are necessary to protect the flock today as they were in the book of Acts. Nothing has changed because of that. Paul warned the Ephesian church that the wolves may even come within the church. It doesn't mean that they will call a pastor from the outside that will lead the flock away. It says it may be a charismatic Sunday school teacher who will do so. And you know, and who will there be to, to correct their teaching? And who is capable? And who is called? And who has the authority to do so? And I can tell you when the senior pastor is the lone elder in the church, they will tell him, you just shut up and go sit down. I got more people following me than you got following you. That's what happens. See, the one elder model that is in most Baptist churches is not working. Churches that use the one elder model do not see the pastor as an overseer in the first place. See, I've been asked who gives you the authority. I've been told it's none of my business when I've tried to address this. Churches with the one elder model do not see the pastor as part of the church often. They see him as an employee. They think he works for them. They say, I pay your salary. And often the, that is the reaction when something goes wrong in the church. He's the reason that it went wrong. Pastors, unfortunately, are here for a moment. This church is going to be here after I'm gone. It doesn't matter that I'm not planning on retiring. It's just the fact that I got a clock on me just like every one of us does. And it's ticking. And I have to admit that. 
And so what happens so many times, pastors move and leave behind their own messes. Understand, I understand that completely. And the next pastor is hired. Why did they tell him? So he can clean this mess up. I've heard these things before. So why don't all churches have elders? That's a good question. I'll tell you what I think the real answer is. Tradition. Pray with me.